Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more. Each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, welcome to another episode of Hacking Into Security. Today, we're here with Wendy Zanoni. So Wendy is a security engineer working for Netflix. Wendy, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, actually, your official title is Senior Security Engineer, so Netflix. Great, uh, great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't want to do you a disservice there because, again, I'm really, well, we've had a conversation offline or online on LinkedIn and yeah, very impressed with where you've come from. And, and that's, I guess, the topic of the conversation today. Yeah, even I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around it, but I'll take it. It's been an awesome ride getting to this point. Perfect. So for those that don't know you, first question is, who are you? Yeah, my name is Wendy Zanoni, as you already mentioned. I work at Netflix. I've been there almost three years. And currently, I manage the vendor security program over at Netflix. I do that in tandem with my business partner, and he does the studio side, and I manage the corporate side. So anyone that wants to onboard Slack or Dropbox, they come to me. And aside from work, I am a mother to two stepsons and one son and now two dogs. And my husband is also in security. So we're just a very security-minded family, I guess. <laughs> I guess security is our hobby, as exciting as that is. <laughs> yeah, ho- hobby and work. And I guess that's the same thing these days. Yes, exactly. Well, yeah, I think the day ends once I get up from the chair and move into another room now that we're all working from home. Excellent. And you mentioned something there, and I guess that's what led me to you in the first place about being a mum. And it's, I've got to say, it's very impressive. So I, I saw an article that featured you from a, a few years back. So from the Hack Bright Academy. And yeah. even like the title is just awesome. From mum to engineer extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like I've, again, look at your LinkedIn profile, I can see that you've got a different type of journey and that's great like there's there's so many diverse ways into this industry and, and i think highlighting those stories and for me this is definitely in my opinion an inspiration inspirational one and would like to I guess just walk through that so obviously you know working for the one of the biggest tech or you know big name tech companies out there i'm sure it wasn't maybe the easiest of journeys to get to where you are so how, how did that all start for you let's see well rewind pre-tech i was working as an esthetician And I remember just sitting in this small boutique I was working at and I was making nothing, basically. My son, you know, was getting a little older. He's 17 now. The other two were already a little bit older and, you know, they live part-time with with their mom and then part-time with us. And so I, I started thinking about how, what else could I do? I didn't feel like I was living fully to my potential. And I also wanted to be a good example to the kids. So it seemed daunting, but I was like, okay, I got to get a job. I got to get a real job. So I adjusted my resume and I started working for a public relations firm who took me in as an intern and then ended up hiring me. And this, mind you, was I was in my 30s. This isn't like I'm an intern and I'm in my junior year of college. Like this is already like my my ship was already going and 
I was fully deep into adulthood at this time. So I worked at this PR firm and we we supported, funny enough, we supported startup companies and Zoom was one of my accounts. And here we are on Zoom. That's kind of cool. So I, I would write press releases and, and whatnot for these, these various startups. And then I applied to Facebook and I got the job. I was working in the ads department and we were working to you know, clean up different ads. So say you want to see an ad, ads only about puppies and ice cream. I helped with that project to make it so on Facebook, you could customize what type of ads you received. But I really wanted to get into security. I didn't know what that meant. My husband at the time, my husband's been in security for his whole career. So that was my my inspiration was like, what does this mean? And I started reading books about social engineering. And to me, that was really interesting because it didn't require as much of the computer and technology knowledge. You know, you could social engineer your mom if you wanted to. I'm sure we all have. So I was working at Facebook and I remember meeting with Jen Henley who is a director of security at Facebook. I think now she's in the infrastructure team. But I remember setting up time with her. I'm like, I want to be in security. And I remember her asking me, what do you want to do? And I was like, I have no idea. Security, right? Isn't that everything? So they didn't have any open recs, especially for someone that had no idea what security entailed. So I took some classes through Facebook. They offered some free learn how to code classes for women. And I took a couple classes. I learned PHP and there was a Python class and that was pretty cool. I, I still was a little lost, but started looking for jobs in the security space. And I found a job with White Hat Security. I was working on their marketing team, doing a lot of their social media and various marketing projects. But I still wasn't it wasn't exactly what I wanted. Like I was in security, but I wanted more. I wanted to be more hands-on, like in the security team, like on a security team somewhere doing something related to securing the company that I was working for. So where I sat at White Hat, behind me, the founder sat Jeremiah Grossman, and he is he's amazing. He is a great supporter of people learning new skills and learning how to code. And I remember he kept telling me, you know, you got to learn how to code. It's, it's learning. It's like being a wizard. It's magic. It seemed interesting, but like, how could I do that? I had, you know, kids at home. I, you know, I couldn't just drop everything and learn how to code. But on the side, I also filled out an application to Hackbright Academy, but didn't finish it. Then one day after having a conversation with Jeremiah and I got an email that said, "Hey, we noticed you didn't fill out your finish filling out your application. Would you like to do that?" And I was working a little later. My husband at the time was working later too. He was at Netflix at, at that time. He's not there anymore. So I sent him a, a message and I said, "Hey, this thing keeps telling me to fill out. What do you think?" And he said, "I think you should go for it. Let's do it. I think you should quit your job and I think you should apply and well, wow. apply apply first, then quit your job, of course." <laughs> So I did. I applied. I, I submitted the application. And the process is, is you submit the application. They have a little coding challenge. It's very minor. But if you don't know how to code, it's huge to you. And you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to enumerate between 1 and 10 and pick out only the even numbers. I mean, that to me sounded crazy. Like I couldn't do that. But I did it. They allowed you to submit in any language you wanted. I did Python, but you could do anything Good if that's choice. what you're... Yes. <laughs> and that's what they taught too. So I was kind of hoping for the edge there. So I, I filled it out. I got accepted to interview. So I did the first interview. That went fine. I did the second interview and I completely choked. I 
bombed. <laughs> we can all put ourselves in that place because I know that we've all had interviews of some sort that we have bombed. Out of interest, did you feel like you bombed at the time or was it after you got the result? I think I felt like I bombed through the whole thing. But then, you know, sometimes you think you do poorly in an interview and then you get a job offer and you're like, I guess yeah. I wasn't that bad. This one, I felt bad. And then I got the email that says I was bad. So I got the email that said, you know, thank you, but we're going to pass on you right now. They recommended I went ahead and reapplied in a few quarters. Yeah. And that was really disheartening because again, I was, I think I, I don't remember. I was in my mid thirties at the time. And I remember thinking, I don't have that time. I don't have, you know, I've got kids. I, I can't just keep waiting and let more time pass where other people who are younger without children are, are passing me up. So I wrote an email to Hackbright and I said, look, I know I'm right for this program and I didn't represent myself the way that I want to. I beg for another chance. So then a couple of days later, I got an email back from them and they said, we've never done this before, but we're going to let you re apply. We're going to let you re-interview for your second interview and see how that goes. So I did. I interviewed with a different person and I passed. So I started the program in fall of 2014, I believe. <laughs> yeah. What was different about the second interview? What What do you think helped you succeed that time? I think it was a couple things. I think it was having a different person. So I didn't feel that level of intimidation knowing that it's someone that already passed on me. Also, you get a little bit of feedback as to why you didn't pass. It was like, it was telling me the, the feedback was that I didn't articulate my interest enough. So that helped as well to help me be like, okay, what did I not say? And how could I've done this better? You know, feedback at Netflix, we do a lot of feedback. Once a year, we do the 360 feedback. And it's it's hard because feedback can be hard to hear. But in this case, and in most cases, it's actually very helpful. It helps you see things about yourself that you maybe didn't realize. And maybe that's not what you were trying to convey, but it's what the other person received. So I did not convey my my excitement and my drive and my enthusiasm for problem solving and and joining this cohort as I could have. So it was couples, two things is the person and understanding where I went wrong and how to how to change that. Do you reckon that helped you for future interviews? Yes. Specifically my my Netflix interview was hard. I didn't have a lot of experience and I really wanted to work at Netflix. Netflix was my dream company. It's, you know, everyone's got their one company that they strive to work at. And Netflix was mine. And my first technical interview, which scared me just to hear the word technical in that interview. But one of the questions was, if you had to scan, and I don't remember the specifics of it, but you had to scan this thing, it might've been AWS. But if you had to do this thing, how would you do it? And I had no experience with that. And at that moment, I remember thinking like, should I try to fumble through this or just admit I don't know? So I admitted I didn't know, but I was very enthusiastic about how I would go about figuring it out, working with other teams, getting to the point where I would know. It was being able to acknowledge I didn't know something, but showing my interest and my, my drive to get to the point that I do know. So yeah, it helped me. It, it, was, it was a hard experience to get turned down, but it was great to get readmitted. And, and it, it did teach me some things down the road, for sure. 
Yeah, you, you did something really well there. I think just being honest in an interview, it goes a long way because sometimes people again they might be the dream job they might be desperate for a role and they can over elaborate their experience or their knowledge and the, the yes. problem is when you're dealing with an expert that knows their stuff they can pick holes very quickly so to show honesty and also show enthusiasm to find a solution you know, they're, they're really good qualities really good traits to have yeah i think that was probably the one main reason aside from the rest of the interview but the person that interviewed me is a coworker of mine and we work together constantly now and so you know we've talked about my interview and it was specifically like yeah you know you showed that you were interested and you had that drive but there was that admitting you don't know and that's not something that a lot of people are willing to do because and I get it you want that interview and you want that job so bad that you don't want to mess it up but you can't say you know how to do something and then it's just you can't fake that no 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 one can know everything right right (laughs) Okay. So you fortunately passed, I guess, that second interview then? Yeah. So what will happen from there? I did another interview. It was a full panel. Passed that one. That was one of those all all day ones. And it was like 900 degrees out in Los Gatos. And (laughs) and I, of course, wore a blazer because I don't know, that's what you do on interviews. (laughs) At least that's what I do. I was dying. And I remember one of the people that was interviewing me was like, you want to go for a walk? I was like, sure. (laughs) I was dying. But fortunately, I survived the interview process. And then I went in for my final interview. And the hiring manager, it was just, I met with HR, the hiring manager, and our current VP of our organization. He was director. Now he's VP. And I remember I met with the hiring manager. And he's great. I really like working for him and I, I appreciated his honesty. He's like, you know, there's something here that's that's the only thing that's iffy about hiring you is that you don't have a lot of experience. And that to me is something that comes up for so many people, especially someone like myself who jumped into the scene, you know, midway when other people have been doing it for decades. And it's hard. It's hard because you don't, you haven't clocked all those years. You haven't, you don't have six companies on your resume of, you know, security engineer, security engineer, and so on and so forth. So my response to him was like, I get that. And my last job you know, they hired me with no experience. And when I had my exit interview, they said that they were very happy. They took a chance on me. And I just asked them, take a chance on me. I, I don't have the experience that maybe some other people do coming into this, but I will work my butt off and I will get things done and you won't be disappointed. And I'm glad that he, he hired me because it's a great job and I've learned a lot, which, you know, is huge. I don't, I don't know everything. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people that know a lot more, but I, I have a lot to learn and, and I have learned a lot in this position. My coworkers are great. Obviously you got given a chance there, but obviously you also given that, I guess that big break lending club. So how did that come about? It's about networking. I knew the, the VP of the InfoSec org at the time, he's no longer there, but he had worked previously with my husband. My husband said, Hey, I think they're hiring. I can just ask. I remember he sent out a message, an email to him and looped us through email. And so I was talking to him and I said, you know, I'm really interested in what is it you're looking for? And he listed off a bunch of things that came off of like a job description about, 
you know, you need to know Java, you need to know this, you need to know, you know, all these different pen testing methodologies. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know that, but hey, I'm going to still go for this job because at Hackbright, they don't focus on security. Now, multiple people have come through that have focused on security with a goal to enter the security realm. But I was the first person at Hackbright that said to them, I want to be a security engineer. And they're like, what do we do with that? We don't know. How, we don't know what to do. So they gave me two mentors that both worked in security, and that was really helpful. But I didn't learn. It wasn't a security boot camp. It was software engineering, and we learned Python and how to make a piece of software. But I didn't know, you know, pen testing or anything like that. But I got an interview, and the director of the organization had a phone call with me, and he said, you know, ask me some questions. You know, what do you know about this and this? And ask me how do you know how am I with JavaScript? And I said, well, we're not the best of friends. I'm not that great with it. And so I, was, I, I immediately thought that I was going to bomb that one as well. But he asked me, you know, what department would you like to work in? What organization of security. And I, being from White Hat, working with Jeremiah, I was like, I want to be in application security. And lo and behold, I got called for an onsite and I passed and got a job. And I can't say, and maybe it's luck. I mean, I did a lot of work to get there, but it's just certain things just seem to align that brought me to all these different places in my life. And I am grateful for however it happened. It's been awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, you could say it's luck, but then I think people often, they make their own luck. And if sure. you if you hadn't have gone and effectively completed the the program you did with uh, Hackbrite and learned coding and, and had those skills in Python, then yeah. I don't think you would have that role as the AppSec engineer for Linux yeah. Club. Yeah, and if I didn't write them back and say, give me another chance, I might not have even finished Hackbrite. So I, I think there's multiple there's multiple things at play here which is great. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company, where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send, on average, two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. It's, it's really good to hear because it's, it's really, it, it feels quite sad sometimes. Like I obviously, ha- I speak to a lot of people in the industry and, and a lot of females and sometimes I feel like females hold themselves back more than males do in terms of... Yeah going for things maybe they're not 100 percent fit for i mean that's the wording that i i hear and that's the message yeah. i get back that people unless they're 100 percent fit they won't put themselves forward and it's such yeah. a shame that people miss out on opportunities because you know if you, if you look at a job description and you know I, I see these things every day and i know that again i guess my opinion based experience is they're just a guide there's a few key things that organizations look for yeah. it's often the person that has maybe some of those skills then they'll be willing to interview and often hire and and rarely do people actually have 100% of you know a full job description yeah um, yeah so. yeah specifically to your point when i interviewed with facebook there was a couple things on the job description that I was I was not super familiar with, but I studied so that I was familiar with it. They didn't ask me any of the questions about it when I was in the interview, but okay, fine, I, I got the job. And then down the road, I remember asking my manager, I'm like, 
it listed that you wanted us to know this. Are we going to do that? And he's like, oh, I, I actually just copied that job description from another department. So we're not doing that. It's <laughs> 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 right then that I realized, hmm, job descriptions. <laughs> I don't know how accurate they all are. <laughs> so it kind of helped me understand that maybe I don't need to know all the things. You don't. And as a recruiter, so when, I, when I qualify a role with manager, I ask them, okay, this is your effectively your shopping list, but what, what are the, the, the key things? What are the, I guess, the non sorry, the essentials and what's the desirables? Yeah. And once you can cut through that, then you know who's, who's a good fit for the role and who's not because, yeah, often it's a long list of things that I don't think are always helpful. It's, it's one of those things they'll they just put in there, oh, yeah, it'd be handy if someone has that, but it doesn't right. mean they actually need it, just, just like you said in that example there. Yeah, and then you go through it. If you're looking for a job and you're like, oh, forget it, I can't do you know, a quarter of these things, but then literally that quarter is probably the you know, nice-to-haves but not the essentials. So it's good to just apply. And you know, even now, just for fun, I'll look at different job descriptions, and I, I catch myself, you know... Imposter syndrome is real with everyone, but imposter syndrome, when you've transitioned your career in your mid thirties, when everyone else has been doing it forever is amplified. It's just, so it's hard to look at it and be like, Oh, I could totally do that because there's like a million voices in your head saying you can't do that. But then I tell myself, well, look where I'm at. So maybe I can do that. It's an internal struggle constantly. I, I, I get what everyone feels with this whole imposter syndrome thing. I didn't really feel that until I got into tech. And then it's like, you're, you never know enough. Everyone knows more. I even catch myself not feeling confident to speak up in meetings or on documents because, you know, I don't know enough. I've only been doing this for however long, but you got you to gotta overcome that and just, you know, say the thing that you're thinking and... And I've really honed my skills around asking questions because before I would not ask questions and I would leave meetings being like, I have no idea what's going on. And now I ask and something that I could recommend for anyone that's feeling something similar is find your people that you work with. I have a group of people. One of them is the person that asked me the question in my interview that I didn't know. Turns out he's a really great ally and he's very helpful as you find those people and you can send the messages through Slack like what does this mean or what's this acronym and it's really helpful it helps people feel confident to be able to have that resource you know get a couple people that you really feel comfortable with asking questions that's great and I guess your career or where you are now wouldn't have happened if you had pushed for that second interview or for another chance with that I guess the coding program that you did so what was I guess your motivation there or, or what made you do that rather than just accept the, the initial response? Well, I got encouragement from my husband who we were, we were driving to Southern California and I got the email and I remember sitting there in the passenger seat. I was just so bummed. I was just like, Oh, well, I guess I'll apply again later. And he said, you should write them and ask for a second chance. I'm like, no, no one's going to do that. And so I sat there and I thought about it. And like I'd mentioned before, I didn't feel like I had the time. Like I didn't have time to waste to do another quarter. I didn't have the time to put off my my future. I, you know, I wasn't. I'm not living at my parents' house, and I'm not relying on on my parents or whomever for food and money. I mean, that was on me and my husband. And it was like, well, we don't have time for this. So it was it was feeling that pressure of I'm already way behind in this next step of my life. I didn't have time to wait for another quarter. So. 
it was having that encouragement from my husband and then realizing that time is of the essence and I didn't want to wait any longer. And all they can say is no. So it's like applying for a job. All you can get is denied. I mean, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't at least try. So I was, I was happy it worked out. I was surprised. I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised. Well, that's great. And I think hopefully it's inspiring to others because obviously you've had, I think, obviously some some challenges there that you've overcome and that, that persistence really has shone through. Yeah, it, it's, it was, it's been a journey. You know, once I got accepted, as we've talked about, you know, being a parent and a, and a wife, you know, it's hard to just, I live about a good day, an hour and a half from from where the boot camp was, from where Hackbright was. Hackbright's in San Francisco. And I live a decent amount <laughs> away from there. And so you're looking at I'm commuting. You know, a lot of other students at Hackbright moved there and got apartments, but I couldn't do that. You know, I have a family. So I was commuting every day four hours because it was never an hour and a half. I had four, wow. four hours up and back every day. I wasn't doing anything around the house. You know, my husband said, do it quit your job. You know, we'll, we'll survive financially off of what I make. I'll take care of everything. He would have dinner ready when I got home and I wouldn't get home till later. So then the kids would wait for me to eat. So it really, it kind of takes a village when you're quitting your job and you have a whole family involved. It was a, it's scary, you know, okay, I'm taking three months off of work. It was, it is supportive. Not everyone has that support, which if you don't directly have that support in your house, you have support outside. I saw a lot of other cohort members supporting each other in that way. So I guess my my advice would be just do it. It all works out. I mean, there's never a right time. And someone once told me that, like, why don't you just do it? Well, because, you know, it's going to take forever and I've got kids. It's like, time's going to pass anyway. Would you love it? rather it pass and you progress in your career and learn a new skill and get a new job? Or in 12 weeks down the road, when you're still sitting here talking about it, you could have graduated, you could know how to make software. So it was that mindset of like, okay, just do it. It was, it was scary, but I'm really happy, really happy. <laughs> That's amazing. So just to go back, sorry, what, you mentioned the, the, I guess the role that you used to work in pre-IT. So what, what was that again? Oh, esthetician. What is that? Sorry. Skincare. Okay. So yeah. pretty far removed from working in IT. Yes. I had when I was at Lending Club, someone, I don't remember what team he was on, wrote a a article about my transition. And he said, from you know, beautician to and I'm like, I wasn't a beautician, but but I did. I did skincare. I did skincare. I did makeup. I did, I thought that was the end all career for me until I actually started working and realized I made, you know, two dollars. And then that really doesn't do much for my family. And I'm glad that I made that transition. It allows me to have more time with my family, which is interesting, you know, going from quitting your job, commuting, being away from your family, doing school, whatnot. But the freedoms that have come from this transition and all that work and that stress has repaid everything. I mean, I see my kids, I see my husband, I cook dinner. I mean, obviously right now we're all seeing everyone a little more than probably want to, but pre-COVID, <laughs> pre-COVID, we, you know, you spend more time. I was able to, you know, take my kids to swim lessons and, and things that I wasn't able to do because I was working a much more chaotic schedule with a lot less pay. And so it just, it didn't work out. It, this is this is a better path for me. 
in many ways. So Wendy, I really find your story inspiring. And I guess for, for mums out there, people not working in IT, it can demonstrate that there are opportunities, I guess, and people can make something of themselves or, or go down a different path. What would be maybe yeah. your, your tips or advice or guidance that you'd recommend me to others in that position now? My advice, my number one advice is to keep going. Don't give up. And I know that just sounds, you know, from a book or something, but it really, you know, I, I applied at Netflix a few times. I have interviewed a few times. It didn't always work out as well as it did this time. I think it's that persistence. And even though you may feel disheartened or maybe not qualified to the level that you want to be, I don't think everyone is. And what I mean by that is everyone that works at different companies in different roles, I think they're really good at a lot of what they do, but they don't know everything. And I think it's understanding that, you know, you see someone with Google on their job description or their, their job title, like I work at Google, I do this thing. And to you, that looks so complex and hard, but you know, you too can work at Google. I mean, I never thought that I would be working at Netflix on their security team. I mean, their security team is, is well known and, and people look up to a lot of the work that, that our org does. And to be sitting as a member of it is really, it's really, it's awesome. And, and I think if I didn't stay persistent and just take that chance, and that, that's the thing is, is if you can't go to a boot camp, that's fine. You know, not everyone's going to go to a boot camp. It just happened to be the path that I took. But specifically for security or anything technical, there's other skills that you could be using, you know, cross-functional work is huge. Being able to communicate with other teams, I mean, that's a skill, that's a soft skill that maybe other folks don't possess. And so they need to balance it out by having someone that is really good at organizing and and getting teams together and getting a project moving and just and working with people in general. And my overall advice to that is, you know, don't just look at the parameters of a job description, as we talked about earlier, but also be persistent. If you don't get the job the first time, come back another time. Keep checking the job board. Keep seeing what's available because that's what I did. I mean, I bombed two interviews horribly (laughs) at Netflix and other places. I bombed a lot of interviews. I could go on and on about all these interviews. I remember one when I was just getting out of school and he asked some question and I thought he meant what do I use to code on? And I said, um, I use PyCharm. And he's like, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, I was totally off base, 100% off base. And it was it's a learning experience, but I think being persistent and just doing it. I mean, time's going to pass anyway. So, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out to me on LinkedIn who have read the article that Netflix put out about my journey. And there's a lot of people in the same journey that I was in. And so if you're listening to this and you're there too, feel free to find me on LinkedIn and reach out. I'm happy to like cheer you on because it's not easy, but persistence, it'll get you through it. Yeah. And and I think you mentioned something a couple of times as well. So the, the importance of networks. Yes. I have to say that probably most of my jobs, I mean, obviously I have not been in tech for as long as others, but most all of the jobs have been because of my network and you can go to indeed and find a job and, and that works too, because that's how I got my white hat job, but everything else has been 
who I knew that maybe had was able to put in a good word or or you know set up an interview. So for that, a lot of times I tell people go to you know, go to meetup.com and, and find, you know, a meetup for security or software engineering or data science or whatever it is you're interested in. Find that and then start meeting people. Introduce yourself, go to conferences. They can be expensive, but maybe find one that maybe is doing some sort of scholarship to get you a ticket in and just start meeting people. Join the women of cybersecurity or cyber jitsu. There's a lot of different groups online that you can join and then they help you facilitate, you know, Different, they facilitate different trainings and whatnot. But the network, like you're right, the network is is a huge part of getting that in. And then once you have that network, you can still like lean on that network. And then the network can also lean on you as you become more involved and experienced in your role. But yeah, it's huge that I would not be where I'm at right now without having networked with people in the security yeah. space. That's great. And I noticed you were involved in OWASP as well. Yes, I, I have. I was on their getting women into OWASP, their board. I was working in the, the working group for that, and that was great. And then I helped our last OWASP USA, the one that was in San Jose. I helped organize that. I did the call for papers, and that has been great. OWASP, application security will always be near and dear to my heart. Thank you, Jeremiah Grossman, for that. So I still like to stay involved with OWASP because of that. And, you know, I, I love AppSec. That, that's always, you know, you, you have your first thing, your first love. And <laughs> that's my stuff. first yeah. love. <laughs> yeah, my first love is AppSec. And that was even, it was hard to get out of the AppSec mind when I went into Netflix and doing vendor security. And, you know, you look beyond the application. You have to look into all, the whole security ecosystem of the, the company. And it's like, all I was just tunnel vision on AppSec. And I, I really had to work hard to break out of that. But yeah, OWASP is... I'm a fan. Great. Would you have any maybe recommendations or advice? So if let's say there is someone out there that wants to, you know, follow the same sort of journey, and you mentioned about, I guess, networking and, and get, getting yourself out there, but sometimes maybe if you don't know anyone or you might go to a meetup, it's, it can be quite, maybe, yeah, quite frankly, feel awkward. Any, any tips from that side of things? Yeah. I'm a, I'm a very social person, but I'm also, when I go to big things like that, I'm, the one that wants to run and hide in the corner. So I totally get that. That's, it's awkward, especially if you don't feel you have, you know, enough to say or enough experience. And so in that, I would recommend, I would start out with some, there's a lot of really great free online resources to learn coding and learn various things about information security. There's classes, a lot of schools. I know UCLA has a certification you can get and it's all online. And so that would help build your confidence to move to the next level. And the next level meaning like go to a meetup and whatnot. But what I would recommend is maybe find one person that is part of that meetup group or find one person that, you know, maybe is in your online class if it's a group class. And then you start kind of building up your your little core group of people that you can lean on as, as you progress outward to meet more people. That is kind of what worked for me. You know, when I went to Hackbright, there was a group of like four of us that would go to different meetups and security meetups. And we, you know, we'd just kind of sit in the clump. And then, you know, a couple of times I'd get a little bit braver and branch out and go talk to someone that gave a presentation on security. But I think it's just acknowledging that maybe you don't feel confident, but you can still ask questions and learn and then also make a connection, you know, 
get business cards made, you know, or something where you'd be able to say, Hey, you know, this is me. And I'd like to, you know, sync up and have coffee sometime and just learn about what kind of skills you're looking for, for a particular role. I know a lot of people have done that, including myself. And it's, it's great. It's an, it's nice to have that network. So you feel more confident as you're looking for a position in the future. Yeah. I think people realize there'll be, there'll be others in a similar position more than they realize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't until, you know, I was on LinkedIn with other people hearing about my journey that I realized there's a lot of people that are doing this. I mean, even a couple of people still reach out to me telling me their progress and it's great. It's, I, I think, I think fear holds a lot of people back. Fear, doubt, uncertainty, and especially if you're like me and you're, you know, mid-career and you're going to change and, you know, it's it's scary, but it's doable. It It's not easy, but it is doable. And it's a lot easier than you probably think it is. I think the fear of actually taking that next step is greater than the rest of the journey. Well, that's great. And and look, thank you so much for sharing your journey, Wendy. Yeah. I, I think others hopefully can maybe take a, a thing or two from that. And, and hopefully we can maybe inspire some others as well. Yeah, I hope so. I, I really do. All right. Well, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec, Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.